Hey, this is Landon. Before we start the show, I wanted to tell you about this cable I've been using to capture air traffic control and intercom audio on my in-flight videos. Now, this cable directly connects into your aircraft audio panel where you plug in your headset, and a wire connects to your camera. So not only will you be able to capture your radio transmissions between you and air traffic control, but also both communications between other aircraft occupants. Just visit stuckmikeavcast.com forward slash audio cable for more information. Now let's start the show. The following aviation podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by ThePilotReport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode number 44, Carl's First Landing, Overcoming Training Obstacles, Respecting Your Flight Instruments, Our Picks of the Week, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Stuck Mike Gabcast, episode number 44. Joining me on the show today are my favorite group of aviation monkeys, starting with our first angry primate all the way down in Florida, Mr. Carl Valeri. <laughs> That's right, we're flying between trees here. Uh, it, it's, it's sunny Florida, but it's a cold Florida. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm glad to be back and, and uh, just been wonderful to finish up all my training and I'm getting sleep. Getting sleep. You're well yes. rested. I heard you just slept like the last two oh, days away. For two days, pretty much. Oh. Pretty much two full days just to recover from, from the past uh, two months of, of getting battered. But it's wonderful to be here. Well, welcome, welcome. Good to have you. And uh, well, we can just use this segment real fast. Tell us how did that first landing go? <laughs> the first yeah. landing actually was pretty good. I uh, just to give you uh, to brief everybody else. I, I finally got to fly the the Airbus A320 uh, and uh, was did my first landing the other day. And the first one actually went fairly well. The the next couple went well. I did everything was was safe. It wasn't uh, some weren't as as nice as others, but uh, <laughs> no no bounces. You know, but everything was was uh, I would say there. It's just I I just it's funny because when you start landing a new airplane. You know, I'd flown the last plane for so long; it was like putting a glove on. Now it's like I'm wearing somebody else's glove, uh-huh. and I still, I still don't have that feel for the landings. You know, before it was just like, okay, just it's like sitting in a in a chair. Now it's something I have to concentrate on, which is fun. It's a challenge. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about it. Hmm. Cool, but but I still have a job, so it obviously worked out okay. It worked out okay. Yeah, <laughs> you have repeat customers. Hopefully. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't scare any of the. Uh, Revenue passengers away. Good, nice, good to hear. As a matter of fact, one of the landings which the captain made, he, uh, they were coming. Well, that one wasn't so good. It was funny. I said, "Well, it wasn't me actually." That. Time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oopsie. Yeah. No, you always you always take the blame for the bad landings. That's a good first officer, right? That's right, and that's yeah. why sometimes when you're deplaning and the flight deck door is not open, exactly, <laughs> somebody's too embarrassed to face the customers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! Good to hear. Glad that all went well for you. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, joining us next, all the way from Kentucky, Mr. Sean Moody. How are you today? Hey, doing well, doing well. Uh, sitting here, uh, looks like the sun just went down. We had some snow flying uh, for most of the day, a little bit of a dusting here. So I'm ready to kick that stuff on out of here, get on to May or so. I'm ready for it. <laughs> ready for the warm weather, yeah. I just had Yes, a, yes. Somebody the other day was like, I'm done with this cold. If it's going to be cold, it better as well snow. Otherwise, it might as well be warm outside. And I was like, amen to that. Who wants cold if it's not going to snow? So, oh, well. It's almost here, guys. It's almost here. Spring is on its way. That's for sure. So, uh, cool. Joining us from Massachusetts, Rick Felty. Hello. Hello. Hey there. Uh, As we go through these different episodes, I can probably say now I'm looking out the window earlier today and thinking, okay, winter, you know, there may be a storm, there may be more snow, but it's, it's, it's fading. It's winding down. Yeah. The giant, uh, the giant iceberg in the backyard is, is (laughs) starting, starting to recede. And, uh, 
That's good. And, <laughs> and, and my, the other customary marking of spring for me uh, is often this. Uh, although I've set it up in an automated way, I got a text from a device I set up in my basement telling me there was water in my basement. This year, this year I got a, a high-tech kind of text warning. <laughs> which was fun. What's that geek, device called again? The geek in me like that. Oh, it's um, it's called a Twine. T W I N E. You can you can Google Twine. It was a Kickstarter project, and it it's kind of cool. And so I've been playing with that, and I got the text and went, "This is why I have it there." And I, you know, <laughs> no big no big problem. We know how to manage it, but it was great to get an early warning, and that does right. that does symbolize spring for us when the the warning goes off and we and we we hit the pumps. Uh huh. So. Yeah, I was uh, I was back in New Hampshire for a couple of days of uh, a couple of days a couple of days ago and noticed it was well when I was up there it was raining so yeah the right. snows they definitely uh, I mean the highs are the highs are in the 40s now yeah. pretty regularly and the lows are, are maybe near freezing at night but not and that's just that it's the the back of winter is broken I'll say it here of course maybe the next time <laughs> maybe the next time we record I will be eating those words along you could, with you could be that's fine I'll take it but I, I think. <laughs> I think we're good for that. So yeah, doing great. So that means the ice runway in Alton Bay, New Hampshire, has probably only got a two or three weeks of life left. To yeah, it. I would start to say, you know, that you know, we were at, we were downtown Boston a month, you know, a few weeks ago, and the Charles River was frozen, and we were there Friday, and it was not there was no ice, and that's a yeah. river, of course, but the lakes are starting to show water, and it's it's risky. I yeah. I don't know how Alton Bay is faring, but it's got to be close. Yeah, that's a, it's a very limited window. You know, it's only a couple of weeks, at least in the last couple of winters. It's only been a few limited couple of weeks that that uh, you know the ice runway has been yeah uh, firm enough for you know for it, use. I I went up to visit it a couple of years ago uh, just out of sheer curiosity, and we were there taking photos. And there's like massive cracks going through the ice, yeah. and there was one segment like uh, on the backside of the bay where you know a couple of feet of water was exposed around the shoreline. <laughs> So, I you know it just blew your mind because you see you see fresh running water on the shoreline and you see cracks through the ice and everybody's you know, got their their expensive planes parked out. There. Yeah, there's I kid you not. The day we were out there, there was close to three dozen airplanes parked wow. on the ice ramp, and wow. we we're just watching them take off and land. And I thought it was the neatest thing ever, but it was also just completely blew your mind to see the water and yeah, the cracks. The yeah, and, yeah, okay. and it's like, well, <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, there's a really cool video that I, I think just got shot and posted this in February yes. of this year. Uh, you probably saw it. I think it's a GoPro hanging on a wing of a mm-hmm. of a high wing, like a 172, and it's beautiful because it really shows what that's like. So we we should put a link to that. Yeah, that's I, actually why that I was, was one of the better of ones. Yeah. Yeah, because I I saw you post it, and so I was thinking yeah. of it. Beautiful. It was a cool video. Well, great. Welcome. And uh, I'm Len Costa joining you all the way from the Midwest United States here in what is really frigid, really cold hmm. central Illinois. Hmm. And I, I'm ready for warm weather. I tell you that. I'm looking forward to g- going to Australia here. It's like 90 degrees down there. I can't wait. Wow. I, I might not come back. You guys were joking yeah, off we here, but I might yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, Skype works wherever you are. Well, It's work, true. That's a yeah. good thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. The land down under, where yeah, I can't remember what they said. Uh, is anyway, um, great. Let's do the pre-flight. Carl, uh, you had an announcement today. We've got uh, something. There's another event coming up down in Florida. Oh yeah, and this is one. That, gosh, I can't believe I forgot about this. I wish I had announced this earlier. There's a. It's really cool. It's down south of Tampa, and it's called Punta Gorda, uh, and it's uh, March 23rd through the 24th. And it's a Florida International Air Show. It's actually one of the, one of the better air shows out there. And uh, as a matter of fact, I guess what is it? USA Today uh, and Ten Best named it one of the the ten best around. So uh, they also they have uh, some cool demonstrations. Uh, the F twenty two demonstration team I is still there, from what I I understand. Uh, there's also many other displays like the commemorative Air Force and. Uh, they have like B-25s there. They're going to have a, 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 what do they call it, the Harrier, the AV, uh, was it the AV-8 uh, Harrier. They're going to have a C-130. Uh, you know, have you ever seen that DC-3, you know, the one that says uh, mm-hmm. the American Airlines Detroit? 
that actually is going to be there. So that that's uh, you know how they have the cities named on all the different DC threes, and that's mm-hmm. a cool looking one, and that that's going to be there. So there's a lot of neat stuff that's uh, going to be there. Plus, of course, Panchito, that's one of my favorites, and uh, and uh, Mohawk too. Uh, you know the OV one Mohawks uh, that uh, the Army used, and I guess the Marine Corps also uses those. Those will be there. And some really neat things for kids to do. It's kind of it's an air show, but it's an air show with with uh, a lot of like you know those whatever you call them, those things that you can hang from and jump up and down. It's uh, like big uh, rubber bands where they shoot you up in the air and stuff like that. So it's mm-hmm. it's 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 just a neat it's a neat family event. It's it's great for the big kids that want to go see an air show to bring their little kids, and they'll have you know different charities there and all. I think Ronald McDonald House is usually there. Uh, it, it it truly is one of the one of the better air shows. So if you get a chance, go to floridaairshow.com and check it out, and get down there to Punta Gorda. And of course, it's that time of year for the uh, that's still yeah spring training still going on then. Uh-huh. So maybe you could get a game in too. That's and right. What team is near Punta Gorda? Someone help me out. I don't know. I'll try to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. Rick, Rick would know. Actually, yeah, I guess you know, who, I don't, uh, go ahead. I don't know. Jeb, now, isn't uh, Sarasota won't be too far from there? So that would be uh, Boston Red Sox, yeah. right? Yeah, they're, they're there. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, and of course, I'll be at the uh, rooting for the Yankees when I go to the Boston Red Sox this yeah. week. Yeah, ooh, yeah, ooh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> where's Just that, that, where's, that, where's that disconnect button? Yeah, <laughs> gotta get rid of this guy. <laughs> but yes, Florida International Air Show, March twenty third through the twenty fourth. A lot of fun, and it's uh, great fun for the kids too. Speaking of Florida, I just thought as a reminder, uh, Carl, do I understand that you also will have some time at Sun and Fun this year, correct? Yes. Yes, I will. All right. So and, he's uh, confirmed. Hope, yeah, go ahead. I'm confirmed. I don't know if it's going to be every single day, but I, I will definitely be there. Fair enough. And and I'm about to find out in a couple of weeks. Uh, actually, this show comes out mid-March, so sooner or later, I'll get to know what date's down there. But I will be down there. Uh, at Sun and Fun, both Carl and I are going to be volunteering for Sun and Fun Radio, running around doing interviews and all kinds of good stuff. We look forward to meeting you. If you're down there, uh, tweet us either at the podcast or, you know, you can find Expert Aviator or Len Costa on Twitter and uh, say hello. Come over to the radio station, make some new friends. And we're also going to be doing, depending on how the whole schedule works, but we should be doing a live podcast on the air on, uh, on the radio station there. So uh, we'll be we'll obviously keep uh, keep you guys in tune as to when the date and time is for that. You can if you're not in the local Lakeland area, you can always visit liveatc.net forward slash snf, and they'll be streaming all of the uh, all of the audio that's going on from the radio station on the internet. So if you can't make it down there, you can always tune in. And and, uh, and remember that's that that live show we did last year where they kept feeding me beer. Actually, it was one person in particular, Dave, who's Dave. listening. Yes, Dave. And uh, it, I got really mellow towards the end of that. That <laughs> <laughs> was two hours of him just keep bringing me beer, buddy. <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't get out of that stool after a while. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. So we aren't doing that again. <laughs> Drinking that is. Yes, but uh, there'll be yes. uh, there'll be all kinds of fun and shenanigans and so. Jeremiah weed it start, started with and went downhill from there. This will be the first year I may actually try that. I don't know. It's not bad. A little sweet. But our, our other friends from other podcasts, they, they do drink it often. Often. It is, it's the signature podcast uh, beverage, apparently. And when, whenever there's a, a gathering or a meetup, there seems to be a bottle of Jeremiah weed. Yes, there does. <laughs> anyway. Well, cool. Um, so, yeah. So, the, uh, the air show, the event in Florida, and then we've got... Uh, Sun and Fun in Lakeland here in the beginning of April, and that's pretty much it. Now entering cruise flight. So I wanted to uh, share a brief story. I just recently, uh, for some of you following me on Twitter, I just recently renewed my CFI, and I had a couple of people asking me some questions about that because my CFI renewal this time around was done through a specific method uh, called duties and responsibilities, and that's one, uh, this is the, basically the first time that I've ever been able to use that option as a flight instructor renewal device. Now, normally, uh, you know, normally for my flight instructor renewals, I've been doing them online 
uh, just out of sheer convenience because, you know, I can do it from home. I can do it while I'm traveling. And, you know, if I spend a couple of days on the computer, it's not a big deal. It's a lot easier with my work schedule than going in person to say, for instance, a CFI workshop. So I did a little research on the net. I came up, I actually found a pretty good article uh, by a gentleman named um, Robert Jex, who's a master CFI. And uh, I'm going to link to this in the show notes as well as on the blog. He sort of broke, he he went through all the references of um, material from the FARs to the PTS standards and some other, you know, some other items and basically compiled a really nice explained list of what he calls the 10 ways to renew your CFI. So I'm just going to kind of go over the bullet points and we're going to review that real quick. Now, obviously, the first thing you could do is take a practical test uh, for that CFI rating that you currently hold. Now, for instance, if you're a, a single CFI, you could get the instrument instructor and add that double I. You could go and you could do an MEI, a multi-engine instructor. You could also add, for instance, a uh, seaplane instructor or whatever other instructor certificates that you don't have yet, you can add. Just like you can add to um, your primary pilot certificate, you know, you're aware that if you have a private and you get your instrument, that sort of renews your two years for flight review, et cetera, et cetera. So much like that, you can add a rating or certificate to your CFI and use that as a renewal. you can one of one of the methods is, and I think most CFIs are aware of this, but if you demonstrate a first time pass rate of at least eighty percent, based on five students that you've recommended, so out of five students, four out of those five students went on to receive that rating or certificate without failure or interruption, you can use that. You can use those records to go in and get your CFI certificate renewed, and that's really cool. I actually use that. I know I used that one time, maybe two times around when I was uh, actually the one of them I did. A, I actually taught a CFI workshop at the FBO. So that was one of my renewals. And then the next renewal, I used the uh, the 80% pass rate. So I guess I've used a few of these. I didn't even realize it until we started talking about it. Um, another one is if you're serving as a, in the capacity of a Czech airman. Uh, for various types of operations, it could be, um, you know, it could be a flight school, 121, 135, serving in the capacity of evaluation of other pilots, uh, other airmen allows you to reinstate that flight instructor certificate. Now, another one is, I had sort of briefly touched on this, but taking a flight instructor refresher course uh, in person. And a lot of times they have these classes uh, in certain FBOs around the country, that's usually a two-day class, a weekend refresher workshop. And you go there for, uh, I think it's usually about eight hours a day. And they, there's certain material that they cover. And then you can renew your certificate through that. There's also the, one of the typical methods of using the FAA WINGS program, uh, which we've talked about greatly in the past. Uh, a couple of other quick ones are earning your gold seal certificate. That is um, very similar. Let's see, I'm just looking at this one. Yes, yeah, very similar to uh, you know using the 80% pass rate, except instead of use instead of five students, you have to have an 80% pass rate uh, through 10 students, a minimum of 10 students, and then you'll get that that gold seal certificate. And from what I understand, reading about it, it's actually a one-time permanent certification. So once you get that gold gold seal on your flight instructor certificate, you always have it. Now you can only use the application of a gold seal as a one as a renewal for one time, but you will always have that gold seal, which is pretty cool. And then earning or renewing your master CFI accreditation. So. I said in the beginning I use duties and responsibilities, which is one of the methods. And what's really cool about duties and responsibilities, and I hate to say that a lot of people out there um, may not be in a position to utilize this, which is why I realized just this time around that I finally was, after all these years, I could use duties and responsibilities. And what that basically means is that as a 121 operator, as a captain at an airline, I am in the position to continuously evaluate my first officers because basically what a captain does is not only all the other responsibilities that we've talked about on the show, but, you know, we're, we're a mentor to the first officer, uh, you know, whether they've been there for one month or six years, you know, 
that's basically what our position is on top of everything else is to mentor the first officer who, you know, they, they call, they, they told us when I went through training, you know, you're not a first officer, you're a captain in training. And there is some truth to that because, you know, you get, you, you learn all these things as you go on. So having, having finally become an airline captain, I was able to use this renewal method of duties and responsibilities. And it was really uh, efficient, shall I say. I called up the local FISDO and I talked to one of the inspectors and he said, all you have to do is fill out um, an 8710 on IACRA and come in and visit with us and we'll print it out and be on your way. And I, I am proud, proud to announce that it was a whole 10 minute process, um, which was really nice because I was about to sign up for one of these, uh, you know, these online courses. Now, the reason I'm kind of sharing all this with you is, like I said, I did have a couple of questions online about um, the duties and responsibilities aspect. And, and then we got to talking about some of the online refreshers and Carl, uh, what methods have you used in the past? Cause I, it turns out, I guess I've used maybe four or five of these, uh, you know, renewal methods. Well, the, I, actually the, uh, let's see, the first one I used was, um, I went to the FISDO and I just, I just received my master CFI and you can use your master CFI as a renewal right. there. So that's number one. The other time I did an additional rating and that renewed my CFI. And then the next time I did a online course and it was one of those online courses where it wasn't time sensitive right? and they would ruin it for you. And then I was going to use the method you were talking about uh, because I think, and I looked it up just now, the part 61, uh, it's uh, 61197 Correct. where it says you're in a position involving the regular evaluation of pilots. Well, as a captain, you're constantly asked to fill out an evaluation report, especially for new pilots, mm -hmm. and you're also obviously evaluating the pilot that's there, uh, even if they're not brand new. So you, you are in a position where you're, you're, you're involved in the regular evaluation of pilots. Correct. I thought about you doing that, and, I th and that's really cool that you brought that up uh, because I was going to do that. So no, those are, those are the ways I've done it is just uh, getting a new CFI. I got my master CFI, and then I've done the online refresher clinic mm -hmm. courses in the past. And uh, so I, I would like to, you know, do another rating, uh, for instance, like a seaplane rating. Yeah, me too. And that type of thing. And that would actually, I'd be able to renew the CFI. But you can renew your CFI as much as you want. That's right. Um, and, and I've actually done that. I've, I've renewed my CFI uh, once. Oh, I'm sorry. There was one other way. I, I just, just thought about this. I was uh, assistant chief of a 141 school. There you go. And, and when I renewed my, when I did my check ride every year with the FAA, they also renew my CFI for right. that too. Right. So there, there's another method you could do that. Again, that goes with being like a check airman, that sure. type of thing. Sure. Uh, so as you think of it, it's funny, like you said, you start realizing, oh yeah, there's other ways that you can renew it. And I have done it before. And I'm sure there's people out there who've done the same. Right. And, and you talked about some of the online methods and I was going to just briefly touch upon that. Uh, and this is strictly personal preference. And there are a lot of online refreshers and they, you know, they have their own value in what it is that you're trying to achieve. There are some online refresher courses where you pay a one-time lifetime fee and, you, and, and that's it. You know, you pay 150 bucks or so today and then you can take the refresher course uh, every two years for the rest of your life for free. You pay once up front and you can take it the rest of your life for free. Um, there's other courses. The one that I usually do is through the AOPA Air Safety Foundation. And like I said, this is personal preference and here's why. This one's $119 and you pay, you do pay that every two years to take the course. But for me, this one is a little bit, uh, it fits my schedule better because like Carl said, uh, he did one, he did one of these online refreshers that was not timed. Some of the courses are timed and in that timing, it's not one of these things where, you know, if you read the material and blow through the quiz in 20 minutes, if you happen to be actively, you know, uh, instructing and you're fresh on the material and you, you zip right through it, you can't just walk away from your computer and let the timer tick on it. It tracks mouse movement and other computer activity. And so if you're gone for an undetermined amount of time, it will log you out of these modules. So I like the AOPA Air Safety Foundation one because it's not timed, which means I can go through it at my own pace. So if something takes me a shorter time period, you know, I'm not sitting in front of the computer moving the mouse around trying to log hours. So I was happy to pay $120 every two years 
for the, um, I guess, for the privilege, if you will, of going through my own pace and not not being timed. So that's my recommendation for for what my purposes were. But there's a lot of great courses out there, uh, not just beyond the, you know, the air, the one through air safety foundation. So uh, that's, you know, that's my thoughts there. On, well, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, can I, can I interject as far as my opinion on these courses? Uh, real quickly, without yeah. getting in too much trouble. Well, I, well, I'm my favorite. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> you know I think they're all there. There's some really good ones out there, but my favorite actually is the one you mentioned, the AOPA course. And then uh, I don't mean to toot their horn, but I mean they really have a lot of good and current material, yeah. and it's presented very well. Uh, but it, as we've progressed over the years, most training programs at the airlines and other places have moved on to a thing called AQP, right. Advanced Qualification Program, where it's not how long it takes you to learn, it's what you learn. Right. So you don't have to sit there for an hour in class, which the FA used to tell you had to do for a certain course. Now it's you complete the course, you do an exam, if you pass, you pass. If it takes you 15 minutes or it takes you an hour, it doesn't matter. Correct. It's the fact that you actually have learning going on. And that's one of the reasons I like AOPA's process. And you have to get that approved, of course. But uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the ones that you just sit there and and they have a timer going and you have to have to do this over a certain period of time and um, now, and you have to have certain mouse movements and, and that type of thing. I'm just not a huge fan of those yeah, personally. I, I, I wasn't either. And that was just a – that's why I, I prefaced it. But it was my personal preference just like it's Carl's. But for me and my – you know, like I said, my work schedule was easy for me. I could sit – in about a day and a half or so, and and wake, make my way through the AO, you know, the AOPA course versus whatever X amount of hours needed to be logged in in one of these other modules. So it was, it's really good, and I did suggest it to one of our listeners, and I think he was going to check it out. So um, those are uh, again that's uh, the ten ten ways to uh, renew your CFI. Again, we'll link in the blog and the show notes. You can have a look at that. I know we do have a lot of listeners out there looking to obtain their CFI. Sean's one of them. Hopefully he's, 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 I think you said you might uh, start working on that this summer or this year. Yeah, that's the plan. I, you know, I've, I've got all the, a lot of the reference materials that I, you know, try and look through and, and that kind of thing just to make sure that I'm mentally staying on my game, even if I'm not flying, sure. practicing for it. So yeah, hoping, hoping certainly to do it this year. Yeah, very cool. And speaking of flight instruction and uh, I guess a sense of accomplishments, uh, something really cool happened over the last, it was basically right around where the time we were recording episode 43, uh, but we ran out of time to actually have a group discussion about this and Sean's going to lead into it. Um, but Sean, you had sent me an article about um, the student pilot that had the collision with the SUV on final approach. And uh, well, tell us, you know, tell us what happened recently, actually. Sure. There was an article uh, from AOPA by Benet Wilson. Um, and, you know, a lot of people saw this video that went viral of this uh, student pilot. I believe he was on his first solo cross country. Uh, coming back to his home airport, and um, that's why there was a camera going because I believe his wife was recording it because it was a pretty big milestone in this training. And you see this SUV come out from the side of the screen, and then you know he, he collides, uh, lands on the runway. No one was injured. Um, and according to the news articles at the time, he said he was going to you know walk away from aviation. He's estimated he was about four weeks away from his uh, check ride, but said nope, that's it, I'm done. Um, apparently, according to this AOPA article, after that happened. Um, I think it's a pretty cool example of of the aviation community. A lot of pilots started contacting him and saying, "No, don't give up. You know, you got to keep trying. You know, this is one of those things that that happens, but you got to make it through it." And uh, and he did. He decided to go back to it, and uh, looks like he earned uh, earned a certificate earlier uh, in February. So congratulations to that guy. And yeah, congratulations. Yeah, it's and I think it's something. You know, obviously, not a lot of people can relate to something as dramatic as what happened to him. But, uh, you know, a stumbling block in your training that makes you want to kind of walk away or think, ah, you know, is this for me? You know, he, he kind of overcame the ultimate one. But, um, I, you know, I think that's something a lot of people have been through that have, that have earned a certificate, you know, whether it's just not getting a particular maneuver or having trouble, you know, learning, you know, how the instruments work, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, certainly you and, and Carl, Len, um, being CFIs would have seen a lot of that as well. So, um, you know, I just think it's obviously a great thing for him. And, uh, you know, something we could talk about here, talk about our, you know, if we've had struggles along the way. Yeah. Um, 
any particular questions, you know? Yeah, well, for me, it was mainly uh, instrument training in the in the simulator. I mean, and that that's probably something for a lot of people. Uh, you know, getting out of the simulator after getting failure after failure of systems, and and wondering, you know, how in the world am I ever going to get this thing right side up? Right. <laughs> Um, but you know, sometimes in my, in my case, you may take a few days off, you know, kind of let your mind refocus, get clear again, that kind of thing. Um, you know, another thing for me was when I was getting my commercial certificate, for whatever reason, I could not get lazy eights down. I, I, I kept being told I was not being lazy enough, which apparently is a popular <laughs> thing to say. It's a, be lazier. Um, but you know, again, for me, it was a case of, all right, step away from it, you know, maybe do some other maneuvers, something like that, and eventually, you know, overcame those those stumbling blocks, even if you, you know, kind of felt a little bit discouraged, felt like it wasn't going to happen for you, you know, there's there's always some way to, to sort of overcome that. Uh, sure. Have you guys had any, you know, when you guys were learning, any any particular things that tripped you guys up? I can relate to the, the, uh, the commercial maneuvers, for sure. Um, they were... Some days it was as if everything was good, and some days it was it was as if you couldn't get it right. And then if you were, uh, you know, might be <clears throat> with a different instructor, they would think it was fantastic. And then you go out the next time with your instructor, and it would just absolutely, in their opinion, suck. And uh, there's 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 a way to do it, but then you know sometimes the technique and the observation between CFIs always threw me off. And um, it was the, I think it was the eights on pylons because I was like always trying to find like the perfect pylon, if you will, you know, <laughs> where's this perfect point that I'm doing things over. Um, and, and, you know, so, so for me, I can relate to struggling through, I, not terribly, but, you know, just in the beginning getting used to those maneuvers and yet yeah, you're not going, you're not doing it slow enough. Just to, I remember one instructor, he'd, he'd like talk his way through. He's like, later, <laughs> you know, it's like as you're going through and he would just kind of draw his voice out as you're going along. You're like, lazy, nice and slow. I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. But uh, those are one of, you know, when I first started flight training, one of the one of the issues I actually had to overcome was the first, I think it was like the first two or three flights. I actually, I didn't throw up, but I got nauseous. Because, um, you know, it was my first time in a small airplane. I was in a Cessna 152. It was the winter time, which tends to be, especially New England, as Rick can attest, a little <laughs> bit bumpier and more turbulent. Yeah. You know, and the whole experience of adding another dimension of uh, maneuverability in my life, you know, for at that point, 15 years, I was a land lover. And, uh, you know, the only airplanes I'd ever been in were limited uh, airline flights to wherever we were going. So getting in the air and adding that extra dimension spatially, like completely messed up my, you know, my inner ear and my equilibrium. And the first couple of flights, I got nauseous. That was one thing that I had to struggle through, um, Go, you know, just starting right out of the bag. And I, I don't know if that's a common thing. How about the rest of you guys? You get, did you get nauseous in the beginning? Did you ever get nauseous? Mm, I don't think I got nauseous, but I got nervous as heck. You know? <laughs> nervous, very nervous in the beginning. And, I, I have uh, a couple of times. Oh, go ahead, sir, Carl. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that's about it. I got really sweaty palms and nervous. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm not sure I can do this. And, uh, that, that, that was, and, and, and honestly, well, I'll let Sean, I have something else to relate, but go ahead, Sean, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, yeah, I'd, I'd been nauseous before. I never got to the point of, of feeling like I was going to actually be sick, but, uh, certainly like you were saying in the winter time and it gets a little bit bumpier. Um, there were certainly a couple of times where, uh, you know, start thinking, okay, maybe we should start heading back at some point in the near future. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, just recently, and you know, I, I almost hate to admit this because you know I've been doing this for so many years. I didn't think this could ever happen to me, but you know, in my recent training, I just finished up this training as a new hire with an airline, and I, one day I was driving back from the training center, and I didn't have the best day in the world, and you know, I wasn't getting my callouts right, maybe for the Cat Three approaches or something. It was something silly, but I started realizing, oh my God, I got to know all this stuff, and I it was like I reverted back to when I was a brand new. Uh, pilot, student pilot, and I'm driving, thinking to myself, almost having a, almost like a little a panic attack. It was just like one day this happened, and it hit me. It's like, can I do this? I mean, there's so many people relying on me. If I don't get through training, I'm, gonna, I'm not. I don't have another job. I just quit my job, and all of a sudden, all these thoughts went through my head, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I 
I know I can overcome these challenges. I've done it before, but why, you know, even at this stage of the game with thousands of thousands of hours in, I still, and I think other people have this experience, I still get nervous uh, during this training. You have to have that confidence, but every so often it hits you. And uh, the best way I found to get through it, because I knew what was happening to myself, I said, listen, I've done it before. I know I can do this again. And even if you're a brand new pilot, if you're a student pilot, there's got to be something in your life that you had a challenge. And you can say to yourself, I've done it before. I know I could do it again. But that's the only thing I could tell myself. Because at that point, I was, uh, I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, for that one day, I thought that. And I, and I knew I could. And, uh, and it was more psychological than anything else because it really wasn't that big of a deal. And even little things like not being able to do a Lazy 8 or a Shondell or something like that, you know that today you can't do it, but tomorrow you're going to be able to do it. It's going to click at some point. And that's what I told myself. It was just like doing a turn around a point. I know it's going to click one day. Mm-hmm. So that's, that was my little and, – and, and I was just shocked that it, it happens you know, after all these years of doing so many check rides. Like, wow. So It's um... – it's funny it you mentioned that. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because there would be those days where you would struggle and you're like, I'm never going to get this. And then for some reason, the next flight would be, bam, it just, you know, it just clicked. Sometimes you just needed a day or two off. I did find that instances where, I, you know, sometimes you had the ability to fly two or three days in a row. First day would go good. Second day would be okay. Third day, you'd just like completely suck at a maneuver. And you're like, my gosh, am I ever going to accomplish this? And I found that sometimes when I flew a couple of days in a row, that my performance would degrade. And sometimes I would actually need like, a, you know, two days off between flight lessons to just kind of walk away and absorb it and sort of trying to push through it every day, uh, you know, multiple days in a row. And I can remember, I was telling you guys offline, I, I've had a couple of flight students, uh, one in general, the only one, and I really felt bad about this and I didn't know how to say it. And, and he kind of weeded himself out of flight training on his own. Uh, made the decision on his own. But I, I had one flight student who was probably the only flight student that I could ever say this about, but one flight student that I strongly felt just it it wasn't clicking. And it was just, it was hard to say to this, you know, this student, it was hard to articulate to them that I, you know, I don't think this is for you because, you know, you want everybody to succeed. You want to be able to share that passion. They were so excited about flying but it just, you know, the, the struggles were so big. Um, and it was really the only student I've ever had that I would have said had I found the courage. Uh, and like I said, they kind of just made a decision after a while, spending a lot of time and struggles that they weren't going to continue anymore. But I was going to I was going to come close to a position where I was going to have to say to the student, I don't think that you should continue flight training or maybe you should take a break or, you know, that just wasn't for them. And, and occasionally, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's not a natural ability for folks. Sometimes they really struggle. And, you know, I, that's a hard decision. I don't know, uh, you know, Carl, did you ever come close to having to tell a student that maybe they shouldn't be a pilot? That sucks to have that feeling. Uh, yeah, actually, I have. It, it doesn't happen often uh, because you feel like everybody can do this. And it's not true that everybody can, but I think, I think the majority can, 90 sure. some odd percent. Oh, yeah. And, and that is, that's the hardest thing to have that conversation. And I usually like to figure out maybe there's something going on in the person's life or there's some other issue uh, that, that they just can't get it. And uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, it came to the point where I even had air traffic control give me a call and say, listen, we're not going to talk to this person in our airspace anymore. Oh, no. And uh, so that, that was, that was the, the big wake-up call because, you know, at that point I felt like I could teach anybody in the world how to fly. And then you realize, you know, we're just, you know, we're not all perfect. We can't all teach everybody how to fly and right, right. and not everybody can do it. It's like anything else in life. Not everybody can do everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's the hardest decision to make. It's like, do you think this is really you? Or you find out that when you have that conversation, because I've had it more than once with somebody who says, is this really something you want to do? Uh, and then you find out it's not something they wanted to do. It's something someone else pushed them into. I, I'll say to them, listen, why don't you come back uh, when it's it's something you really want to do? And if you ever want to go flying, call me and we'll go up and we'll do a lesson. Uh, but don't just be doing this for somebody else. Do it for yourself. And and is there it, there there are some stumbling blocks, especially it's not just mental; it can be physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had one person that was um, uh, taking some medicine uh, that uh, he had issues where he he uh, couldn't even hardly stand up some days. 
And I felt so bad about that. And I said to him, I said, listen, I don't care. If you can't physically do this, just call me and, and we'll go up. Uh, so there are other ways around uh, if you can't actually do it to, to actually say to yourself, okay, I can do this, but I can do this with somebody else. I can augment it with, with another pilot. And right. uh, and I've actually had people get their license and I've, I've said, gee, I, I kind of probably think that maybe you should take somebody with you, you know, each time you fly. Uh, I've had those issues too, but yes, yeah. that that happens. I, I'm sure you you've probably had that yourself. Because some people they only they just want to accomplish having their pilot certificate, but they really don't want to fly on their own. That type of thing, and and they're probably smart to do that. Some are wise enough to do that. Yeah, especially people with a whole bunch of money. You know, I've had students where they'll go out and buy a small jet, and uh, I'll say, boy, you know, you just you just started flying this 172. Why don't you hire somebody to go fly with you in that jet? And uh, there's a lot of opportunities there to do that. Right. So. Yes, it goes. There's many different ways that that can happen. Yeah. That's a tough decision, isn't it, Dallin? Well, mm. I, yeah, and I was like I said, I was happy that over time, my student, um, after flying with a couple other instructors, sort of came to that decision on their own. Uh, that with with everything, all the difficulties they were having, that maybe this doesn't, you know, necessarily the right career because this this was something they were trying to do for a career. Uh, and I I felt that I had a couple of students who, while had the passion and the desire, maybe didn't understand the, I think they thought, oh, let's fly an airplane, it sounds so much fun, but I think what they didn't quite realize is that there is a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge and a lot of training that went behind it. And I think that my my judgment was they thought they could just come to the airport, show up, do some lessons, and all of a sudden be a pilot, but not realizing that there was things to study at home, and there was check rides, and written exams and you know most of them towards the end of the you know the end of the training this is more private training but sort of really clicked it finally understood that yeah this is fun but this is also serious and I do need to take this seriously I do need to put the time and effort into learning these things uh and especially you know I would tell them it's okay if you have a problem on your check ride but you don't want to go in there thinking that it's okay if I fail, I'll just do it again. I mean, yes, that can happen, but go in there feeling confident. Go in there ready. Go in there prepared. Go in there and say, I'm going to knock this out today. Don't go in there thinking, oh, I can just do it again. I mean, sure you can, but I don't think that's the right mentality to have when you go into a check ride, uh, especially for people doing this as a career. Those things are on your FAA record, and some folks believe that that may hinder you in the future for getting a job. I, I don't know if that's reality. I don't know what Carl's ever experienced with, you know, mentoring folks. But, you know, I really think it's important to go into a, a check ride prepared or reschedule it if you're not, you know. Just have that confidence that this is going to be a good day out there and not just, a, you know, a practice run, quote-unquote. You know, Len, it's it's interesting you brought that point up because the first question in any interview usually, or one of the first questions is, have you ever failed a check ride, and why? And uh, try to explain what you've learned since then. So it it will be a conversation for the rest of your career. Sure. You know, uh, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to stop you from moving forward, but it could. Uh, and you know, you've seen people have failed almost every check ride, and they've gotten to the airlines, and then one person does one check ride wrong, and they may not get into the airline of their choice. That type of thing. Right. So that 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 is very true. I just I just feel bad for people that that give up, you know, right afterwards. And uh, you know, there there's some listeners uh, I know, you know, I won't name any, but that listen to this podcast and and have talked to me about the fact that they've given up, but they still want to. They like to hear about aviation, and and each one of those I've heard their stories, and you know what? I really wish they'd continue on because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, w- we all have challenges in life, and. The, the the worst thing that we've done in aviation is told people how easy it is to learn how to fly, and it, it it's a challenge. It really is a challenge. It, it's not going to be easy. Anybody can, most anybody can do it, and uh, I I think that's very true. But you're still going to have to work at it. And mm. and you know what? It, it's it's like anything else. You don't <laughs> you don't become an expert right away. You're gonna have to keep trying, and you're not going to be the best at it the first time you do it. And and you need to keep practicing and all. So. You know, it's a far cry from saying to yourself, hey, I need to take myself out of it. Uh, but I wish some of those people that, that are listening today would, would consider it or just uh, go up for another another lesson, that type of thing. Sure, Don't yeah. let your failures hold you back because there are people that have actually been fired from jobs and been able to get flying jobs again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good bit of advice. So Carl and I have kind of shared a bunch 
uh, here, but how about Rick? I mean, tell us, yeah. did you have any particular struggles through the private, whether big or small? Yeah. You know, what were some of your obstacles? Yeah, I mean, I uh, well, I would say I never got to a point, I, I think, where I, I said, okay, I'm hanging this up. But, uh, mostly probably because I spaced it out so slowly that there were large gaps to give me time to think about it. It wasn't like I was really going at it every day. And so, you know, the, the bug would come back, even if I had a rough one, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be back there the next time I was scheduled to go. I'm, you know, I would say um, it took me longer to get my landings down the first time, you know, to be able to even solo than I would have liked. And then I did have that thing you were talking about where I remember coming home one time and go, I lost my landings, you know, where'd they go? <laughs> because I, they were there, you know, I, it was smooth. It was sweet. And, and now that, you know, now they're not, they're not there in the same way. Um, and, and, you know, and then, they, and then they came back. Um, then the next thing was probably when I, um, well, in order, the, the next big one was the thing we talked about that one, the, the one issue we talked about porpoising and I porpoised in the, um, in the SR 20 and, uh, you know, and I went around a couple of times. I mean, I porpoised twice mm -hmm. and it was that second one, you know, and you're going, you're going around and, uh, you know, I, I was doing everything right in terms of the go around. I, I knew to make the call, but at that moment, you know, where you go, okay, you have to do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, cause some, some stuff, you know, you can go, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to bag it. Well, <laughs> you're not going to bag it. You got, you know, you have to land this thing and there's no one there with you, you know? And, uh, this was from across country, I think. And, you know, and so I focused and, and it was speed control is all it was, obviously. And I, uh, you know, I got it done. But I, and I imagine, I can't remember thinking stop, but I remember probably being thrown a bit by that. Um, and then the other thing that happened that I know happens to people that, you know, well, it didn't happen to me as much. The CFI change, I did have a few of those, but they were, they weren't many. And I, I, I rolled with those, but I had, a, I had a plane change from, um, you know, from a Cirrus to a, a 172 where the Cirrus went offline and to keep flying, I needed to just shift. And, uh, and so I sort of, it wasn't starting again completely, but it was the, you know, it's just like what Carl's been going through, getting the feel of a, of a new plane. Where's the, where's the rotation, you know, what, what's the ground effect feel like all that stuff. Um, it just, it took me back uh, a while to, to, to get going again. It wasn't frustrating, but it was a little frustrating, I guess, not enough to stop me, but, en but enough to sort of slow it down and go, okay, mm -hmm. you know, stay with it. But no, I, uh, I, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of things that knock you and, and you gotta, you know, if you, if you want it and it's fun doing it, then sticking with it, that's the thing, you know, with the C, what I loved was the training. Cause there's always someone there who knows a lot and you're learning every time, even if it's a bad, you know, even if you did something wrong or it wasn't great, um, you know, guess what? You got to fly and there was someone there teaching you, you know, and you were, mm -hmm. and you were at least learning something and there's always something you're getting out of it. So, um, it's an interesting question about, about walking away and, you know, economically, I understand why people sometimes do it for that reason. But, um, the challenge part, it's probably worth it to really think hard about if, if people are listening, you know, about, um, you know, just giving it, giving it another shot and finding the right CFI, finding the right situation and, mm -hmm. and just taking your time. Cause you, you know, you'll, you know, <laughs> I can do it. Anyone can do it. I mean, not that I, you know, you know, I'm not some magical, you know, there's, I don't have some magic sauce to, that makes me perfect for it, but I, you know, it, it was, it, it's fun. And I, so I guess I encourage people to give it a shot if it's within their means and they have the time to do it, um, you know, get back up there. Well, you know, you reminded me of a brief story and I'm not trying to make this sound like it's age related because you just said if you can do it, then anyone can do it. But mm -hmm. I did fly with I had an instrument student at the time. He was 66 or 67 and he had only got his private two years prior to that. It was something he always wanted to do growing up. And after he retired, he's like, you know what, I'm going to do this. And he did. Right. And he got his private and he got his instrument and he bought a Cherokee 6. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Like, like, like Rick said, if you, you know, if anyone, if you can do it, he can do it. Anyone can yeah. do it. Um, you know, so definitely don't think that age or time right. or anything's and a real good, restriction. You know, the good CFIs will know the difference. I mean, they know, they know that kids get it quicker often. Right. Uh, and cause you know, and I, the, the other thing I was doing, cause I was a big uh, flight simulator guy before I started training. And then early on, I was still a big flight simulator guy and I swear it was messing me up <laughs> because there was no feel. And I was trying to just make the visuals match and I had to, so I stopped. <laughs> I actually remember thinking, okay, no more, stop, stop, stop the sim stuff because, <laughs> because it wasn't really, I think I was not experiencing 
what I needed to feel for the for the flying. Um, because I was, you know, just concentrating on the visuals, even mm -hmm. when flying, you know, I was not sensing it right. Cause I was just trying to make it match the sim mm -hmm. sort of, I don't know. This is just, that was that, just, that makes a problem. lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I just went through the same problem myself cause I've been flying a simulator for so many weeks Yeah. Yeah. and now I go into the real airplane, same thing. I was trying to do the same thing in the sim in the airplane and you don't, it's different feel, just like you said. And, yeah. Uh, it was funny. Know, I was like, okay, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a CFI tell me the exact same thing actually during my CFI. He said, "Stop flying a simulator at home because it's screwing <laughs> you up when you come in." And of course, I was, you know, I, I was a, I wasn't flying a Skyhawk. I was flying like a, you know, a 737 or something because right. that was just, you know, I thought, oh, that's so cool. I'm gonna fly a jet on the simulator or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'd be trying to flare. I mean, you know, 200 feet or something crazy, and they'd be like, "Stop doing that! Don't do that!" Before you come in here right. and fly a Skyhawk anymore. Right. Because even feeling like the crosswind that you're setting mm -hmm. up for, you know, just feeling it and getting, you know, you get you get a you get a sense, and it's very it's easier, I think, to feel it than to try to see it uh, for me on the simulator to try to, you know, guess what the feel should be. You know, what's, you know what I mean? It's it's only one sense, and it's not all those other ones that mm -hmm. happen when you're actually you know, when your butt's in a seat. Mm -hmm. Um, and so anyway, yeah, that's another bit of advice, but, um, you know, I, th I would say, boy, give it, give it another shot. If you've got any interest still at all, because, um, you can do it. Yeah. That's one of the greatest experiences I've ever, I guess, experiences slash achievements is you, you jump in a plane and you go flying and it's all, you see the world from literally from a whole different perspective. That's not just a cliche, but it is just a whole different perspective. And you know, what's funny is, after flying for so many years, I'm not sure what it's like for you guys, but you go to a strange place in your car and you've already got like the place mentally mapped out in your mind, you know, how to navigate around north, south, east, west, and you know what the buildings look like from the air, <laughs> all kinds of weird things. Like my mind now works like Google Maps. I can yeah. just imagine things. <laughs> uh, and it's funny, especially flying along and I'm trying to find a place. You know, I can easily like, you know, I started... Uh, dating this girl and she's like yeah i live near such and such landmark and every time i fly through the city i'm like boom i know you know i knew exactly where to find her uh her building and all that other stuff just because you get so you know, yeah ma'am stop well, <laughs> you, know, you know these girlfriends you have to fly over their house you, you, have, you have to you see a pickup truck in the driveway uh, like, well, tell me about it no it's okay as long as he's mowing the lawn for me that's all i care <laughs> Uh, that's funny. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you know, just things like that. You can, uh, you can. I learned to like well, you guys pick things out from the air a lot easier. And, and and on the ground, you know, if I'm traveling on the ground with the family, like on a trip, I, you know, I'll call up a a map, you know, a uh, a sectional on on my phone or on my device, whatever, to track where the road I'm on is, you know, what airport it's near. Right. You know, you know, I'm I'm thinking like, okay, I just want to get it because I may be flying in this area. I'd like to get a sense for what the <laughs> the road position is relative to this runway. You know, and it's nuts, but it's, but it's actually sort of it's like pre-flight planning for some future hypothetical flight. As long as you don't do like I accidentally did one day and stare at an airplane flying over while I'm in the car and then like uh, all of a sudden having to slam on the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> watching yeah. out front. Officer, I was pulling on the wheel, but it just wouldn't rotate. Well, yeah. <laughs> Most dangerous pilot is in the car staring at the sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, cool. Uh, Sean, any other last words about any other, any other you know, things that come to mind, uh, you know, what you might have struggled with through all the way up through your commercial? Yeah, no, um, it was, like I said, mainly those those maneuvers that just, you know, the, I felt like the more you try to do them, the less successful you are at doing them. When when you stop trying to will it to happen, that's when it will come to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that, that's kind of the sense I got when I was doing it. Um, and, you know, like you guys mentioned, maybe taking two, three, four days off. Uh, and coming back to it fresh, uh, you'll you'll feel something differently right. or, or something like that that'll enable you to to realize what it was you you know were or weren't doing before that was preventing you from getting it. Um, so yeah, you know, again, congratulations to uh, to the gentleman down there in Texas. And uh, if anybody Absolutely. else is out there, you know, um, you know, struggling with it, keep it up. Right, and, and remember, you weren't hit by. Uh um, exactly. An SUV. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. Yeah, you, you know, be. you've got you you've got you got a cakewalk compared to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Obstacle course from for landings in, in the pattern. Uh, it's too funny. Well, I would. I think I'd like to wrap it up real briefly. I think um, maybe some advice for Rick and some of our other listeners. But since Sean's you know got his commercial and Carl and I uh, got a lot of flight 
experience behind us. So I'd like to sort of just wrap up with anybody who's looking to pursue or is currently pursuing their instrument rating, which is one of my favorites. I know you've heard me mention it before. It's one of my favorites because it's one of the most useful certificate, or excuse me, useful ratings you can add to your certificate because it literally opens the world up to all new levels of flying. But, uh, you know, to Rick and the other listeners in the process, mm. my biggest piece of advice is be humble about it. When mm. you get that certificate, be humble. Don't just go out there and shoot approaches to minimums your first day out by <laughs> yourself. Because not only is it the greatest certificate in the world, but it's probably the one that'll kill you the fastest if you do something wrong, in all honesty. Right. Right. I hate to put that big damper on it, but you know, it's it's the greatest thing to, to achieve, but respect it, be humble about it, and work yourself way down to you know, down to a set of personal minimums until you're very comfortable, whether it's in that aircraft that you rent or just comfortable with instrument flying altogether. I don't know. I'm sure Sean and Carl, what do you think that's, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, <laughs> the, the instrument rating, first of all, is the most challenging and always will be. And the biggest problem that we see at, at the airlines or anywhere is that instrument scan is lost pretty quickly. And uh, I think that's really important to, to just keep going. And again, that's that's a challenge. And people give up. A lot of people give up during that that period too. Yeah. And uh, they say to themselves, "No, I'm not going to do this anymore." Yeah. Good yeah, advice, Glenn. You, Good advice. You talk about the instrument scan, and that's you know I learned I, I did all my instrument training in G1000. Um, so I you know one of my concerns is in the future if if I do get on flying somewhere, odds are it's going to be in an older airplane you know, with, with all steam gauge instruments. And, you know, when you're, when you're used to looking at a G1000, all that information is presented to you in such an efficient way, you know, being able to transition over, um, to steam gauges. I mean, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. It's something that I would want to go up with an instructor for several flights, you know, before yeah, I would I, ever get I'm, up solo and do. Yeah. I'm right there with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know that's not a strength cause I haven't done enough of it. Right. And you know, right. some airplanes, especially when you get into older airplanes, like I, I fly some old, old airplanes that they're the instrument scan is not the scan that's normal. It's not the normal six pack. I mean right. the instruments can be mm-hmm. all over the place. Right. So now you have to change your scan for that specific airplane too. So it's not just an instrument scan on an old airplane, it's an instrument scan on a really old airplane. Uh, so right. you got that to contend with. But you, yeah, you do kind of the stare when you're you're looking at uh, like a G one thousand. You don't scan, you stare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <type of> thing. <laughs> Almost makes it too easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a good point. Just for folks who've done a lot of tr- primary training in glass, is like I was saying, if you fly a different airplane, like say for instance, Sean or Rick, you know, you you your glass cockpit's not available, and you decide, ah, uh, what the heck, I'll rent you know one of these steam gauges. You may feel disoriented, you know, on the first flight or two because it's a totally different scan. So that's another yeah. another thing. You know, if, you're, if you haven't flown this model or this equipment in some time, maybe it's worth going up for an hour with a CFI and just getting comfortable, you know, moving yeah. around and looking around. I think, I think the other thing you said about instrument, you know, is true in general, which is that cocky thing. To, you know, don't take it for granted. Don't act, you know, don't push it. Get get your get true about what what your comfort zone is on all aspects of flying, and absolutely, and stay right at those minimums. But push them a little, and then find you know. And, that, and this is what I'm probably guilty of is I is I need to push them more often, not more, but you know, find chances to nudge them a bit. Right. So, yeah. anyway, our picks of the week. Excellent. Well, we'll uh, we'll move on over to our picks of the week. Let's hear from Sean. Tell us about your pick of the week, Sean. Sure. Uh, my pick of the week is an iPhone and iPad app. It's called Infinite Flight uh, Flight Simulator. Uh, talking about flight simulators, I guess you know I shouldn't do this. And if you're trying to get landings down, get the hang of them. But uh, it's uh, it's really fun. Um, it's fairly inexpensive at $4.99, and it's a pretty full-featured flight simulator. Um, it uses the tilt control on the iPad and iPhone, and the the graphics are are surprisingly good. They've got a ton of different, you know, from general aviation airplanes to fighters to airliners. Um, and, you know, as far as I can tell, you know, I'm, I'm not really big on the flight physics and that kind of thing. So I couldn't tell you how true to life those are, but it's a blast to play around with. And you can find it in the iOS app store. Great. And uh, Carl, tell us about your pick of the week. 
Uh, my pick of the week actually uh, is something that a lot of people like to do, and it, it's a wide audience called plane spotting. Uh, but I like to find websites that do plane spotting in other countries. You know, we know people down down under that do plane spotting, but I found one that's in the Netherlands, and uh, it has actually the whole fleet census uh, for the Dutch airlines too. It's called plane spotting dot nl plane spotting dot nl. It has some really cool pictures. I, I I think paint schemes are really neat to see of all these different airliners and not just the recent airliners, but old airliners, uh, antiques and different uh, World War II airplanes. And they have, a, they have this pretty cool uh, photo gallery of all the different types of uh, airplanes and the different fleets. And, and this person that's put this together, they really have spent time to also not only do the listing of how many aircraft in each of the current fleets, but they even list them, and I don't know how they do this, they list them by registration number two. They actually have each aircraft registration on there and what type of aircraft it is. And uh, it, it's pretty neat. And also when they took delivery of this or if it's on order. I mean, it's totally geeking out on not just pictures but also on statistics for for all the different Dutch airlines. So if you get a chance, check out planespotting.nl. Some cool pictures. That's a great way to be able to look them up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my pick of the week is a uh, it's a it's a new aviation website slash business. It I say it's new because they're just the the owner uh, is working on. Uh, hopefully, I think aiming tentatively. Let's not let's not pinpoint anybody down and paint them into a corner, but tentatively hoping for sort of a official launch right around the sun and fun time frame. The, uh, the website is aviationjunkie.net. And what this, what this website is about, uh, the mission statement essentially is supporting aviation through education. And they're hoping to be able to, to share the passion of aviation and, and, and help grow aviation through education, through some scholarships, and through and through sharing and promoting media like podcasts and events and other stuff along the lines, uh, the gentleman, one of the gentlemen directly behind it, who I've become pretty good friends with over the last uh, probably year or so, you can uh, he's Aviation Junkie on Twitter. His name is Chris, and he's um, you know like I said, he's we were talking last week, and they're hoping to hoping to have something more official out with the website here. Uh, by Sun and Fun, but it's going to be, it sounds like there's a really good group of people supporting this website, and it's something that I'm going to put on my list of 2013, um, you know, keep an eye on, keep a lookout to see how this develops and see see where they go from there. And uh, I know they're, actually, he's going to be down at Sun and Fun, so we'll have a chance to finally meet. Uh, Carl and I will get to, we'll get to meet Chris and a lot of these other uh, friends of ours on Twitter. And so Aviation Junkie, Dot net. There's not quite a lot up there yet. You know, like I said, it is new, but uh, keep it. You know, keep an eye out on it. De- definitely pay attention to what's going on over there, and, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see how it develops. And might well, I might even talk. We we'll should talk to him, uh, Carl, when we're down there. Actually, it's yes. fun and get some more inside scoop on that. So uh, Most definitely, Rick, your pick of the week. Yeah, mine. I'm just going to go back to to one that I use a lot, uh, mostly just to, as a reminder that they update this fairly regularly. Forflight just put out version 4.9 and it's just a great I, I like it a lot I know that people have their preferences on what system to use for for pre-flight planning as well as for tracking um, your flight uh, while you're doing it um, one of the things that they added that's cool and it relates to a topic we did a few shows ago which is they've added track up um, so now you can choose mm-hmm. um, I guess it used to be fixed at north up and there's track up with you centered and track up called forward, which is positions your plane lower in the frame, you know, with more track ahead of you. Um, and then there's a world, there's a worldview, there's better mapping, uh, there's a better mapping engine. Um, these guys just keep adding stuff to this and it does just keep getting better and better. So I, I recommend it, um, uh, as something that I definitely like and use. And so, uh, for flight, the new version is 4.9 and it's out, you know, by the time you hear this, it's been out two weeks, two weeks. All right. Cool. The after landing checklist. Carl, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you, sir. Well, the best way to get in touch with me is at my blog, expertaviator.com, and also at aviationcruisepodcast.com. And he doesn't mind if you come visit him at home as long as you bring cookies or, or anything bring sweet. Or, or oh, a six-pack. 
Yeah, speaking of which, you know, Len, we have a, a bed for you now. You don't have to sleep on the floor with the cats anymore when you come <laughs> for sun and fun oh, this year. Oh, that's so nice of you. Yeah, I was starting <laughs> to get, you know, your cats and I were starting to get real friendly, you know. My oh, girlfriend God. was getting nervous. She's like, hey, 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 <laughs> hey those cats, well, watch out there. Ooh, uh. Uh, Rick, your information. <laughs> I wish I could. There's an audio thing I could say. Shakes head, you know, <laughs> but I can't. I can't. Um, don't you know, don't say it. Don't say it. Um, uh, R Felty on Twitter, R D Felty on YouTube, and RotationSpeed.com. Great, Sean. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aviation. That's A V I A S E A N. Great, and I'm on Twitter as Len Costa. You can reach the group here at Stuck My Gavcast on Twitter and Facebook. Also, Stuck My Gavcast at Gmail. Send us, uh, you know, send us some feedback, comments, questions, concerns, show ideas. We research everything that we get from our listeners. Try and find a way to fit it in when we can fit it in, and uh, we love to hear from you that way. So, for myself, Len Costa, Carvalary, Rick Felty, and Sean Moody. Thank you all for joining us here today on episode number 44 of the Stuck Mike Avcast. We all wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Avcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Avcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa Production.